Scotland podcast. Industry updates and best practice to promote, support, develop and protect the Scottish red meat sector. Hello and thank you for downloading the Quality Meat Scotland podcast. I'm Mark Stephen. As you'll be only too aware, it's nearly six months since the full implications of COVID-19 first became clear to most of us. On March the 23rd, 2020, the entire country went into lockdown and life changed dramatically. Now, many businesses just shut up shop. They followed the staff and went into sort of suspended animation. Other businesses, meat production is one of them, simply couldn't do that. You can't just shut the door on livestock and walk away. So fairly quickly, farmers, hauliers, marts, slaughterhouses, vets had to find solutions, workarounds to the restrictions, which meant that things kept ticking along. But inevitably, all this has had an effect on the market. To discuss that, and to hopefully answer some of your questions, I'm joined now by Neil Wilson and Ian MacDonald. Neil Wilson is Executive Director for IAAS, the Institute for Auctioneers and Appraisers in Scotland. Neil only started with him last January, but he brought with him 20 years of experience in the agricultural finance sector. He used to be Head of Agriculture at HSBC Bank. He's also from a farming background. Ian MacDonald is Senior Economics Analyst at QMS. He's responsible for monitoring the market prices, as well as updating the price and supply data sets within QMS. Basically, all the stuff that goes into their market reports. Let me just start with you, Ian. Can you give me a general overview of the latest market trends? What's happening? Yeah, it's been a a pretty firm summer for livestock prices. On the cattle side, uh, there was a, a real strong upturn in the market from the the lows of the spring all the way up through to the end of June. There was a bit more stability in July as I think there was a a bit of an an early marketing trend. So there was a big increase in slaughter numbers through July. Uh, That stabilised the market. Moving into August, uh, that um, stream of cattle slowed a bit. Numbers have been dropping a bit behind last year's levels and the the price crept up again towards £3.90 a kilo. And so compared to last year, uh, that's about 14% higher. So yeah, very strong on the the beef side. On the sheep side, uh, the the market price has, has been remarkable this summer. It's there's not really been a much of a seasonal dip. It's obviously come off from the the peak of the new season, but it's the price has still been this week even sort of two ten, two fifteen pence per kilo in the marts. And this time last year, the the market was approaching its seasonal low one fifty five, one sixty. So uh, we're about thirty five percent higher than last year. So yeah, remarkably strong. Store prices have also been have been really really strong. Any idea why they're being so strong? On the lamb side, certainly, even before the COVID nineteen pandemic hit, the price was really strong in this in sort of through January February into March. So there must be something more than just reactions to the new circumstances that are at play. One thing is that we know that the the import volumes from New Zealand have been been trending lower for the last really for the last decade their production's been declining and they've also been targeting china more it's a much more profitable market for their their exporters rather than shipping to europe so that's certainly one factor at play and since the massive economic rebalancing of the spring people eating out less more people working from home there's been a lot more home cooking and i think people have been a, that might not have been buying lamb in the past are certainly using it a bit more often uh, trying to use new inspirations in, in the kitchen. Um, so that's, that's certainly helped on the demand side. Neil, can you do the same thing for me? Give me an overview of how IAAS has actually adapted. 
So yeah, look, we we've talked about this before on a on a previous podcast, but I think it's probably worthwhile just a an update around about the the adaptation of auction maps, which um, I think, as you know, historically are a a great place to do business, but also a great place for a bit of knowledge exchange, and, and certainly where a big swathe of the farming community come together for a bit of socialising and uh, you know those those last two elements we have had to cut out pretty much entirely unfortunately as just we seek to we seek to keep people safe and, and healthy so it, it really has become a, a very business and transactional arena around about markets if we went back to sort of march april may the, the early stages of coronavirus and the lockdown and we managed to come up with a plan that enabled markets to continue to operate. At that time of year, you know, we had, okay, some fairly big store sales for cattle, but predominantly the sales were around about prime and store. So, you know, regular buyers coming in, people got into a bit of a, of a routine about what it was like to attend market now. Um, I think there have been a lot of nervousness as we headed into the current period where, you know, from early August onwards, we've seen some, we've seen some quite big breeding sales going on, and we're and we're now heading into top sale time. That has just created a, a sort of different environment for markets to operate in. I have to say, generally speaking, across the industry, I think the professionalism of the auctioneers in terms of how they've managed this, as well as the cooperation of the majority of farmers and buyers visiting the markets, has helped us keep things going. But you know, as we see just now, cases continuing to rise across the UK, localised lockdowns. I mean, we still have to remain vigilant. We are still sticking to the two metre physical distancing in, in markets. We have been speaking to government about whether for some of the bigger sales, particularly for some of these um, top and ram sales, if we could look at maybe getting down to one metre plus some mitigations around about the sale ring those discussions continue but i think there is a there is a general nervousness out there about about doing that however much it it might help the situation we have to remember our core role in this is to make sure that people who come to market go home fit and healthy and that we don't start introducing coronavirus into markets because that that's got real trouble written all over it for us in the industry One of the things that's fascinated me about this entire six-month episode is how quickly people have adapted. Now, just because they've adapted and and they're getting things to work doesn't necessarily mean they like it. What's the feedback you're getting from, you know, the the distancing, the lack of socialising, you know, the the fact that it's a very different experience nowadays? Yeah, we are all frustrated from the auctioneers, you know, the people running these companies, the auctioneers, the yard staff, all the way through to... The farmers who would normally come and and be part of market day and see their stock sold, who who have found that difficult to do, all the way through to the buyers, would love to be back to, uh, you know, the hubbub around the ring. But actually, I think the the general reaction has been that people are grateful and and delighted that the market, the auction market, has continued to function. You know, it has really helped drive some of these prices on. I think it's really helped play a part in that wider food supply chain to make sure there's a good flow. If you look at some of the more remote areas of Scotland in particular, the fact that we've somehow the companies have been able to hold marts, successful marts out on the islands and make sure that 
Islanders have been able to trade livestock how they would normally do and and, and get to, to feel some advantage of the way the market's working for them at the moment. I think the general feedback has been has been very positive. You know, there is no doubt there's some frustration out there because of the way it works. But I, but I think generally speaking, there is a broad understanding of why we have to do what we have to do at the moment. Can I run some listener questions past you or news of the pair of you? First one here is, do you think there's a place for farmers marketing their own stock on social media ahead of sales, as we've seen recently? I'll put that to you first, Neil. Yep. I think it's a, a very easy answer. Of course, there is. Markets have been doing it as well. I would say more so over the last six months. I would say probably some markets were dabbling with social media in terms of advertising what stock was going to be at upcoming sales. I would say I think it's great if markets and, and, and those selling can do it. I think it's a great way to encourage buyers. And I also think just, just given the restrictions we've got at the moment, even if you get into the market, it's not easy to move around about. It's not a, it's not this free open place it used to be where you could go out and wander up and down the penning areas. So I think it also helps buyers visualise what they're going to see when they actually come to the market because there is a bit of restricted viewing time there. They can't just sort of hang around a pen and have a good look. So I think anything that helps us advertise and connect more with each other so that when people are coming to market, there's a good idea of what they're going to see. I think that's a great encouragement for everything that. Second question. How successful, again to Neil, how successful the virtual bull sales been, and do you think it will help develop the way livestock is traded by auction companies? Uh, so we've touched on the it's not quite like the real thing, but um, I think as successful as we could have hoped for, given the circumstances, would be the answer to that. I think what COVID has done is, you know, markets, my members, markets, those companies where we're starting to look a lot more at technology over the last sort of year or so anyway. I think what COVID's done, as it has done for a lot of us, has pushed the technology use on dramatically because it's had to. There's not really been any other option. So I think what we've seen is your know, markets picking up in that. People can view online sales. Some of the markets have online bidding set up. You know, some of these really big breeding sales we've had where markets have got maybe two rings and maybe a bit of a, a large foyer. What they've done is they'll have one ring where all the stock is going through and then there's a sort of live beam through to a big screen in a second ring and maybe also in an exhibition hall. So, so actually, while people are in the market, they're not necessarily in the ring, but they're in the market, they've had the opportunity to look at the animals and they can sit and bid real time. Um, so, you know, those sorts of advances are are moving on. We touched on the social media piece a minute or two ago, but I think that's a great way of marketing and encouraging people to come and, and buy your animals through the ring. The core of this is still going to be the live ring, but I think it opens up the marketplace to more people if we continue to embrace the, the technology and the advances that are continue to be made there. Do you think it makes a difference as to what it is you're actually bidding on? I mean, I, I might be relatively happy attending a virtual sale for, say, store lambs. If I was trying to buy a top, I think I'd actually want to stand next to it at some stage. Oh, yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's absolutely right. And, um, you know, we have seen, you know, the ability for people maybe to put appointments on beforehand to go and view the top, maybe at the farm, and then be able to bid on it at the sale. The situation I described a moment ago where, 
you know, you're not necessarily sitting in the live ring bidding, but you're maybe bidding in a screen in another part of the market. You've been able to go and have a quick view of the of the livestock before the sale commences. You have the chance to look at it. There's probably another layer to this to go on, which is is not just the visual element of livestock. It's how we can then start integrating more of the, you know, data collection on farms is increasing all the time, and it's how, as auctioneers, we then play our part in that and and help deliver that wider experience to the customers that want to use us. This question is possibly for you, Ian, with with your sort of analyst's eye. Why is the sheep sector so buoyant this year, despite Brexit looming? That's a a very interesting question. I guess in in some respects, there just is so much uncertainty over what the trading conditions are going to be at the start of next year. Um, Maybe in some instances, people are are looking through that. Last year, we saw saw a similar trend at the store sales in, in the autumn, where the price was, was pretty firm despite an increase in, in volumes year on year. And really, we're, we're seeing the same thing again this year. The, I guess the, the way the, the finished price is at the moment um, is giving people a real degree of confidence. Put, put that into play in English for me, because bear in mind, I'm not a farmer. I mean, it, it is, is what you're saying. Look, at it, right now, the border is porous, the stuff going backwards and forwards. If, you know, if we fall off a cliff in terms of Brexit and all of a sudden trading becomes extremely difficult, any food contained within the UK is actually going to become more valuable. That all depends on um, imports, exports, production levels. Um, there's a lot of, lot of factors at play. The trade modelling on Brexit would suggest that if you're a, a net exporter of a product like we are with lamb and the imports can continue largely to come in um, tariff-free and you've got an export which faces a tariff, then that's going to put significant pressure on the price if you can't trade in those export markets as profitably as before. So that that's where the, the challenge is on the sheep side. However, the, the way we've seen prices 20-30% higher than last year and so that actual reduction that the modelling suggests of perhaps 25-30% in prices. There's certainly room for the sector to, to remain profitable given the overall value of the market that we're, we're sitting at at the moment. Obviously, it's not ideal, but I think that might be one of the one of the things at play. You look at some of the figures around about, uh, you know, why the sheep sector is so buoyant this year. I mean, if, if you just look at the end of August figures, the estimated sheep slaughterings in Great Britain were down just over 30,000. You know, it feels in Scotland like we've we've maybe had a good lambing year. I'm maybe not so sure about the rest of the UK. So so that's obviously helping. But I think as well from our perspective. So there's there's slaughterings down over thirty thousand. In Scotland, auction marks actually in that same week had nearly five thousand with four thousand seven hundred more lambs through as well. So it feels to me like Scotland's getting quite a good advantage. Another question for you, Neil. Will COVID have made lasting changes to the way we sell livestock in Scotland? I think what it's showing is how important auction marts can be and are as a central selling point and a price determination centre, almost acting like you know quasi-producer organisations in a way. So, so it's enabling the true market dynamics to be realised and probably not allow that sort of manipulation by an imbalance of power in a relationship. So... I think what we're seeing, you know, I touched on it there, we we are seeing through the rings more throughput in terms of sheep numbers and, um, you know, across the board, not just prime at this particular time. Um, I think people are looking at, at the market, auction market as a place, as a good place to, to get a proper price determination point. 
think we touched on it earlier, this, this advancement that technology and markets using more of that is bringing people back in, looking, thinking, well, okay, there's, there's more ways to do this than just to physically be at the market when I need to be. So I don't know whether it'll make significant changes, but I, I think there's a drift here towards using more wider elements to help sell livestock. If it doesn't make you twitch uh, with nervousness, what would be your prediction for the lamb trade post-Brexit? Stick your neck out. Don't do predictions. I thought Scotland would walk it in the Czech Republic the other night, Mark. But anyway, <laughs> um, uh, look, uh, it's t- for me, for me, this is all about the trade deal, you know, and I think Ian probably touched on it a bit there. If the UK can get a, a sensible trade deal done with Europe, then there's no reason why, you know, that reliance we have on the export market can't continue and, and the trade can't go unhindered or frictionless and hopefully that will continue to support the trade. A bad deal for us with Europe, I think, puts pressure on. That's not to say that we can't negotiate other deals that will help us move lamb to other parts of the world. I'm just not sure they'll happen as quickly as we might need to, so we we might see a bit of a bump. But if you want a prediction, a good trade deal hopefully supports prices. A bad trade deal, well, you know, we'll, we'll need to see what happens after that. Ian, do you do predictions? Um, I don't like to make predictions per se, but I like to talk about the the potential positives, negatives of every situation um, and the factors at play. I agree really there with what Neil said. If you get a trade deal, I suppose on the, the downside, even if there is a trade deal, the, the trading relationship is going to change. There's going to be uh, new technicalities for exporters to comply with. Uh, there's going to have to be export health certificates products could have to arrive in the EU through a, a specific border control post. There are a, a number of conditions that are, we're still waiting for product on product labelling, etc. So that there will be a bit of a change, uh, how much of an impact that has. Again, the, the modelling experts have suggested that these levels of frictions might have an impact of 2 3 4%, something like that. The potential for tariffs, uh, if there are, if there was to be a no deal and you face the tariff shield that could be 35 40 percent depending on price of products um so yeah that would be very very difficult i guess as i I touched on earlier the reduction in imports to both the uk and to europe from new zealand australia in recent years that probably is meaning that we're in a better position to to withstand the shock than we might have been three four five years ago but certainly it's the potential of a no deal is difficult. So you'd hope that the politicians will be sensible and come up with a, a positive agreement on a future relationship. Just with that in mind, Neil, how do you view forthcoming auctions? I mean, is it, is it you know, are you, are you looking forward to it with anticipation or a slight degree of reserve? Um, yeah, like I think we go, we go from week to week at the moment in terms of what we're seeing just now. Given all the factors at play that we've talked about, you know, particularly with the trade and that we've seen in, in the store and, and breeding sheep sales have been have been quite phenomenal. You know, g- given the given the headwinds, really, you know, this uncertainty that still remains over Brexit and what what any sort of deal with there's a deal might look like. You know, the socioeconomic issues, the the, the fact that hospitality isn't isn't really back up and and firing in all cylinders. You know, there's. There's always been this nervousness looking at the sheep market in particular about what might it hold. But the bottom line is, we've talked about, 
there is a lot of confidence in this sector at the moment. And um, there does not seem to be anybody taking their foot off the gas when it comes to heading out to buy lambs and to buy sheep at the moment. Mark, so I would say from, from our point of view, we remain cautiously optimistic that the trade will continue. But I think, as Ian talked about there, you know, one one big political announcement that, that could, could give us a knock and we just need to be aware of that and keep our eyes on what's happening in the wider political circles. Touching on the, the outlook on the lamb side, we've we've obviously seen a, a huge increase in in volumes over the over the summer. The increase in both the the finished sales and the store the store sale numbers, 40 percent over last year, yeah. uh, certainly through the ring. Abattoir volumes on the sheep side up twelve percent in July. The question is, was the lamb crop big enough for those those sort of numbers to be sustained through towards uh, the back end? Um, that's that's a real question, and I guess the the volume of store sales certainly suggests that there will be a, a, a supply later in the season when when these animals are finished. But whether it's to the, the same extent as last year where the marketing pattern was a bit later, then then things might might tighten up a bit. Yeah. I mean, there is only a finite amount of lambs out there, isn't there? You know, I touched on it earlier. It feels like there's been a better there's been a better lambing season. We might have complained about the weather in terms of the rain and things, but actually in terms of a growing season, it's been terrific. There's been plenty of grass there, hasn't there? But I think that's what we've been talking to a lot of the Institute of Auctioneers members about is, look, what, what, how do you feel the dynamics are? Are we going to get to November time and, and suddenly see this massive drop-off in throughput? As you said, Ian, you know, potentially the store the store lamb sales will, will help feed into that. Once they're sold, they're sold, aren't they? They're, they're gone into the chain and, and they're not there anymore. So it will be interesting to see it's how that pans out. Also, if those numbers do start to ease off, it might help just to keep the price buoyed for farmers, for the sellers. Going back to the business of the mechanism of sales, have you seen more stock sold direct from the farm with auction marks kind of acting as the middle agent rather than through the ring? That sort of uh, mechanism has continued. Look, not not everybody wants to send stock to the market. Not everybody wants to go, but they want to use the skill and experience and professionalism of an auctioneer and auction market to help them get the best price and best advantage they can for the animal they sell. I think that's what auction markets offer. You know, the key is the live ring, but they still have this massive experience and huge network of connections to help farmers market their stock map. So I don't know whether we've seen an increase. I think we've certainly seen an increase in stock going through rings. I don't think we've necessarily seen an increase in sort of this sort of private selling or selling direct off farm. But look, it's great. The options there, as many options as we can give farmers to market their stock and get the best advantage for it, then all the better for the industry, I would say. Ian MacDonald and Neil Wilson, thank you both very much. Thank you. Thank you. QMS would really like to get your feedback on these technical podcasts. It would be good to know what you find useful, what you'd like to hear more or indeed less of. And they're not above a little bribery, so there is a chance of winning a goodie bag. What it contains, I've absolutely no idea. But if that's enough to motivate you, then please head over to QMS on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter and complete a fairly straightforward one-minute survey. We'll be back next week with another podcast from Quality Meet Scotland. In the meantime, I'm Mark Stephen. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Quality Meet Scotland podcast. 
for news and to listen back to previous episodes of the podcast, visit qmscotland.co.uk. For Scotch beef, Scotch lamb and specially selected pork recipe videos and inspiration, visit www.scotchkitchen.com or follow Scotch Kitchen on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.